All right, Bibles. Let's take the Bibles out and turn to the very last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The Easter story continues. This story actually has us traveling with a few disciples uh, from Jerusalem. They're not really sure where the little village of Emmaus is. They think it's to the west. So you see a map there of where they think Emmaus is. Uh, They really don't know. They're guessing. So I love this story. I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Um, And let's pray so that it will come alive for us this morning. Please pause with me to pray for this word. We wait here, O God, to hear from you, and we pray, living Lord Jesus Christ, that you will speak to us through this witness, through these scriptures, and through my words. And we pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Same day as the tomb was discovered empty, this is Luke 24, picking it up at verse 13, and going to verse 35. Listen to God's word to you. Now on that same day, two of them were walking and going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. Because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And that same hour... They got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together, and they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. 
Wow. What a big turnaround. That is a big turnaround. First of all, walking seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, that's a long way. I don't walk that every day. And then by the time you get to the end of this story, it is after dark, it's late, they're tired, they just talked Jesus into staying because it was so late. What do they do? They turn around up and they head back to Jerusalem. Seven miles, that's like a half a marathon, right? That's a big turnaround. Not only that, they're talking about how Jesus died and this tragedy that has happened that they can't even begin to absorb and comprehend. And as they're talking about Jesus dead, it's just this almost funny situation where Jesus alive starts walking with them, and he doesn't force himself on them. He doesn't grab them by the shoulders and say, I'm here, I'm alive. But he walks with them and helps them become aware bit by bit through the word and through the sacrament that he is indeed alive. So you have this big turnaround from Jesus dead to Jesus alive in their midst. And then we have this big turnaround with Jesus at the table. This is just an ordinary village, ordinary people, ordinary home, ordinary table, ordinary bread. And Jesus is there as the guest. And then the tables are turned where all of a sudden as he picks up the bread and it's just like the Last Supper all over, Jesus is the host. They are the guests. All of creation is Jesus' table of grace all of a sudden. Huge turnaround, this resurrection story that Luke tells. And I want us to be aware that as Luke tells this resurrection story, Luke did not meet Jesus in person just like us, he comes to faith without seeing Jesus face to face. And so he writes this resurrection story for people like him, for people like us who will follow so that we can have an understanding of what resurrection looks like for us today. So here you have Jesus outside of Jerusalem. He's away from the temple He's away from the priests and the Levites. He's away from the Holy of Holies. And he's just walking this dusty road with them. I love this line in the passage. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and just started walking with them. I think this is very appealing to us. Especially here on the peninsula where I hear people again and again taking classes in mindfulness. In fact, I heard that there's a preschool teaching children mindfulness. Isn't that great? That's a great skill to have. That's a holy skill to have, to learn how to wake up and to pay attention. That is part of what you see happening here. Slowly, bit by bit, they are waking up, aware that Jesus is right there, and aware of who Jesus is, the Holy One in their midst. A resurrection story. One of my favorite writers, preachers, leaders, communicators of the faith is Barbara Brown Taylor. You've heard me mention her before. She's written several books, and she actually went through a process of being a pastor in a church and then deciding that she was ready to be done with that. And so she left the pastorate, much to everybody's surprise, back in Georgia, and she just decided to spend more time on her farm with her husband and to teach a little bit in the seminary. And after she wrote a book called Leaving Church, 
The next book that she writes is called An Altar in the Wor World. An Altar in the World. It came out in 2009, and I have enjoyed this book, and I've actually recommended this book and given it as a gift to many people. And she talks in here, don't you love the title? She talks in here about how we meet the Holy One in everyday, ordinary life all the time. She tells stories like when she was a little girl and her father woke her up and got her out of bed and they laid on the front porch on their backs and they watched the shooting stars. And how that began to train her to pay attention to the awesomeness of God, the Holy One with us all the time getting our attention. She talks about meeting God on cow paths, getting lost, all kinds of ways, but experiencing the presence of Jesus Christ and becoming more awake to the presence of God with us all the time. Now, at the beginning of this book, she talks about people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. Got to listen to this. If I had a dollar for every time I heard someone say, I am spiritual but not religious, then I might not be any wiser about what that means, but I would be richer. People are usually trying to tell me that they have a sense of the divine depths of things, but they are not churchgoers. They want to grow closer to God, but not at the cost of creeds, confessions, and religion, religious wars, large or small. Some of them have resigned from religions that they once belonged to, taking what was helpful with them while leaving the rest behind. I think I know what they mean by religious. It is the spiritual part that is harder to grasp. It may be the name for a longing, for more meaning, more feeling, more connection, more life. They know there is more to life than what meets the eye. They have drawn close to this more in nature, in love, in art, in grief. They would be happy for someone to teach them how to spend more time in the presence of this deeper reality. But when they visit the places where such knowledge is supposed to be found, they often find the rituals hollow and the language antique. You know anybody like that? Yeah, you're nodding. I had a very interesting conversation this last week with someone who doesn't normally come to this church but was here on Easter morning. And she was thanking me for the worship service. She felt like there was a real mood of welcome and hospitality and inclusivity that made her feel very comfortable here. And as she talked about herself, she said, I am one of those people who is, quote, spiritual but not religious. And then she went in to talk about how she had been raised in the Catholic Church and how she had given that up when she was middle school age. And pretty much now, she said, if anything described her spirituality, it might be Native American spirituality. Because one way that God really got, gets her attention, actually, is through hawks, seeing a hawk. And she talked about how when she was first pregnant, she was in the city, and she was in the midst of all these skyscrapers, and she looked up, and there was this hawk circling overhead in the midst of downtown. And it was just one of those ways that she knew the Holy One was speaking to her. Now, i got to say, that resonated for me. My bird is not a hawk. I love hawks. But I do have a bird, and when I see it, I know God is getting my attention, and that bird is the great blue heron. Now, I know not all of you love them because they eat your koi fish in your backyard. <laughs> but when I see a great blue heron, I know God is getting my attention. In fact, many, many years ago, 
when I, it was the night before I was going to be introduced to you all as a congregation, I was going to preach my candidating sermon, and I was staying at Glenn and Mary Nissen's house, and they went out for the evening, and I was getting ready and preparing my sermon, and I took the dog outside to go to the bathroom, and I got locked out. (laughs) Right. It was in July, fortunately, so it was warm, it was nice outside, but that's not where I wanted to be. But after figuring out that I couldn't get back in the house, I just went to the backyard, and I just laid down on my back, and what did I see fly over? A great blue heron. It was powerful for me, because it wasn't necessarily where great blue herons were in their flight pattern. It was very, very powerful. So, the Emmaus story, the resurrection story, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus meeting us in our everyday, ordinary lives, if we can only wake up and recognize it. That's why I do many of the spiritual practices I do, the prayer of examine that St. Ignatius taught, teaching you to pay attention to your life every day. That's why I do spiritual direction, walking with people, helping them be awake and aware of God's presence with us all the time, getting our attention. But friends, that is only the first part of the resurrection story knowing that Jesus is walking with us, that Jesus is for us, there's also the big turnaround. Because these disciples, the two, their understanding of the story was woefully incomplete. They had to have Jesus reframing all of what they knew and thought was true in light of the larger story of God. And as Jesus reframes it, it blows out of the water their very limited perspective on life and death. This reframing with the larger story of God, it just blows out of the water the very limited perspective on Israel and God's Messiah, the very limited perspective on Jesus and who he is. There's also the big turnaround. And then when they invite this stranger into their house and they're at the table, supposedly their own table, all of a sudden the tables are turned and Jesus is the host. And they see all of creation as the Lord's table of grace. The big turnaround. And then, once they know that Jesus is alive, it changes their whole agenda. Everything they had planned that evening, you might say everything they had planned in their lives, shifted. And now it revolves around this good news and heading back to Jerusalem to be with people who can share the stories about this good news, that Jesus is actually alive. This resurrection story does not end with Jesus walking the road with us. It does not. There's a big turnaround, bringing all of life into alignment with this good news. That's what scripture is for. That's what worship and the word and sacrament, that's what this is for. It's what the church is for. It's what the resurrection is for. Me and my life are not the center, and neither is yours. And finally, with the resurrection, we are freed up. I'm freed up. All of us are freed up. Because too often, spirituality, people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious, too often without intending to, 
It becomes God walking with me and me managing the God story. It's just another version of our captivity to self-centeredness without intending it to be. And it's too small an understanding of who God is, what life is, and where to find true joy and meaning. Trinity has been working for several years to become more clear about what it is we offer, what it is uniquely, why are we here, why do we exist, And the thing that we have been learning to say and to proclaim out loud comes from our core values, our first one. In the context of all the pressures of life in the Silicon Valley, our desire is to align our everyday lives with the way of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Not Jesus walk with me, but Jesus bringing a whole new opening. And hearing Jesus say, and not only say, but empower us to walk with me, Jesus is saying. That more we long for won't come from life centered in the Silicon Valley. That more, the depths that we long for will come from who he is and his table of grace that he serves to all of us freely. You know, journey, one of the reasons I love this story, the walk to Emmaus, is because walking and journey is such a powerful metaphor for the spiritual life. That's why so many people go on pilgrimages. I've been on several pilgrimages, and they've been around for thousands of years, and the most famous pilgrimage of all that you've heard me mention before is the Camino de Santiago over in Spain. People walk to Compostela, Santiago de Compostela, St. James, I think is his name, and it's like a 500-mile trek from France all the way to the west side of Spain, and they do this because they really are on a quest, a spiritual quest. And a lot of people walk, thousands of people walk this, and I'm fascinated with it right now because, God willing, I may walk it next year. We'll see how that goes. But the people that I've been reading about, they walk 500 miles for a month. That's intense. You don't have to walk that far. But two of the books that I read, Sonia Choquette, who wrote the book Walking Home, and then Paolo Coelho, he wrote the book The Pilgrimage, Sonia, her marriage was unraveling, so she really was trying to figure out what her life was about. Paula Coelho was at a point where he was very disappointed in directions certain things had taken. And so they both took this month, they walked the Camino, and as they begin, they really want God to walk with them and help them figure out their lives. But they will say, as they keep walking, this is their wording, the Camino was walking them. And as they walked, more and more, they were lifted out of their self-centeredness. They were humbled. They came to the Mount of Forgiveness. They had to let go of stuff that was getting in the way. And more and more, their life is centered around God. They call it the magic of the Camino. The magic of the Camino, the way of the pilgrim, is the way of forgiveness, the way of encountering God's love and being transformed, re-centered. So what's the magic of the walk to Emmaus? What's the magic of this story? You know, our eyes are opened, not just to Jesus in our midst. It's not like the blue heron all by itself. Our eyes are open to the fact that Jesus 
is the host and all of life and all of creation and all of my life and all of your life is his table of grace. And we are recentered around Jesus graciously welcoming, serving us the depths of life that we cannot serve to ourselves and we cannot even turn ourselves around from our own self-centeredness without that grace, without that resurrection. It's why the church is here. It's why we're here to lift us up with this larger story of God in Scripture, to lift us up as we gather together to worship, to remember, no, we're not the sinner. The God of grace is the sinner in word and sacrament to lift us up with other people and share the good news story. We can't remember it and affirm it and walk in it without other people sharing the fact that it's true. It's true. It's true. This is why the church exists. This is why we are here. Bringing all of life into alignment with our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we too long for the more in life. And we really do want to be awake to you, to recognize you, not only to serve our own purposes at all, not actually to serve our purposes, but to wake up to you and the table of life offered to us all the time, every day, wherever we are, Oh God, may we not run away from the gifts you've given to us, but turn toward you in resurrection freedom and joy and in love. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.